0: Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Iselle. We're friends and neighbors who've had long summer talks in the sun that always included Jess telling me amazing stories about her life. These stories fascinated me, and I asked her if we could share them with the world. So, here we are. Welcome to Dancing with Darkness, Episode 2, Bodywork. In this episode, we'll talk about what happens when you find out you have mutant DNA and have to make a choice between your breasts and your health. We'll also talk about leeches and twerking. In last week's episode, you heard about Jess being diagnosed and treated for colon cancer. Years before her current diagnosis, she tested positive for a gene mutation in her DNA, the BRCA2 gene. Everyone has two copies of this breast cancer gene too, one copy inherited from each parent. People who inherit harmful variants of this gene have increased risks of several cancers, most notably breast and ovarian cancer. Also at younger ages than people who don't have the mutated gene. A harmful variant can be inherited from either parent. Each child of a parent who carries any mutation has a 50% chance of inheriting this. Inherited mutations are present from birth onwards. In all cells of the body. Jess' aunt was diagnosed with breast cancer more than 10 years ago. She was young and this prompted the doctors to suggest genetic testing of the whole Oberlin family. Determining eventually that Jess' grandfather must have been the carrier. Jess' mom tested positive. Giving Jess and her sister a 50-50 chance of having the mutation. Her aunt survived... Her mom decided on breast replacement surgery to eliminate the risk for breast cancer by 95%. Now Jess had to make one of the most difficult decisions of her life. To know or not to know. To act or to sit still and wait.
1: I had worked hard on accepting myself as a teen. My weird nose, my wide ankles, my small breasts, my huge hips. I'm worried. My heart beats fast when I find out I have inherited the BRCA2 gene from the Oberlin family. The one that pretty much guarantees you'll get breast cancer and ovarian cancer. The good news is, nowadays doctors can make you new boobs without breast tissue. There's no risk afterwards for breast cancer. When I'm 40, they want to take my ovaries. This tiny microscopic mutation, ready to attack the very parts that I feel make my body female. The parts that fed and created my babies. They are parts I'm proud of. My vagina and my breasts, my baby maker and my girls, to operate or not to operate. Can I handle the process of letting go and fully accepting my new parts made by a man, not my mother? It's a funny thing when the body you learn to love and accept over the years suddenly gains a new identity, one you would rather not identify with. Breast cancer is something that happens to other boobs, not my barely there triple A's. When your DNA suddenly becomes your enemy, it's a hard thing to swallow this dark part of my DNA has always been there as a child I always felt some kind of looming doom in hindsight it makes sense I remember being a kid at the doctor's office thinking for sure I had cancer when they couldn't figure out what was wrong with my knee pain I thought cancer They couldn't figure out what was wrong with my intestines. I thought cancer. A cold that wouldn't go away? I thought, well, you get the drill. I think I wanted a real reason for feeling the darkness. My family and I have a history of depression. I dealt with it by running away to Europe. Until the day I got that fateful envelope with results about the gene, I thought for sure... I was done with the darkness. I thought I traveled and meditated and yoga'd it away. My mom's reaction was to feel guilty and apologize. Her bloodline passed it on to me in those crucial months in her womb. My dad cried, my sister too. They didn't have the gene mutation themselves. I felt numb at first but a clear and powerful deep decisiveness came over me. I wasn't going to dive blindly back into the darkness or self-pity. I was going for the light as I have in all the years since leaving home at 18. Time again to be proactive and fix this wrong. Dance with the darkness. However that might change my outer body, it would change the inner for the better.
0: You were still quite young when you got the test result. Um, So it must have been a really hard decision to uh, have your breast replaced. What helped you to make that
1: decision? Yeah, I felt like enough was enough. And I fought hard to take distance from this darkness. Doing the meditating, doing all the yoga, doing the traveling having my kids, meeting an amazing man. It just felt like, why is this speed bump on my road? I'm not going to have it. I'm going to take care of it. Um, yeah. I remember the first time, like when I got the news back and I had to think about what I would do, like did I want to just wait for something to happen and then get sick maybe and then have to go through chemotherapy and surgery and do I wait? Like it felt like a ticking time bomb situation. And yeah, I have two kids who were young back then. Now they're teenagers, but back then they were so young that I thought, yeah, I don't want to have to put them or my partner through that, which is why it's so sour that now I've gone through the colon cancer. Like we talked about in the past episode, because it was really like yeah, this is not going to happen. I'm not going to be that sick person ever. I'm going to just be proactive and I can do something about it. I'm so privileged. I'm so lucky. Like, I'd be stupid not to do something about it. So that made the decision a lot easier in the end.
0: Is it the same
1: gene, actually, that, that causes also colon cancer? No, there's a, there are two different mutations you can have with colon cancer. One for Lynch syndrome, which they... No, I don't have. Um, there's a name for it, but I forget. But there's also a gene that you can test for if you have this syndrome that gives you a lot of polyps and that could turn into cancer. Then you know to be checked more often. And it would also be important for my kids to know that they should also be checked more often than too, And for my sister and my mom and... Yeah, yeah
0: so the same story as
1: the, yeah. the other gene. Uh, yeah. a mute, mutation, Mutations.
0: In the text you talk about... You're now man-made parts. (laughs) Have you learned to accept them already? And do they, your new breasts, do they feel natural to you?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was, when I wrote this, it was many, many years ago, like right after I'd gone through it all. And I don't know, this inner feminist in me was just like, my man-made parts, how can I dare let a man thinking about it made me feel really like angry in a way more. I think it's more towards the fact that I had to do something and yeah, that, that it didn't go as easily as we all expected it to, which we'll talk about in a moment. But, um, there was a lot of anger there, but yeah, man-made parts. It's strange because really my mom now didn't make my breasts anymore. Now they're made by modern medicine and the doctor that made them was really into the art of fixing bodies. He wasn't only a, um, a plastic surgeon in the, the hospitals, but also in his private practice. And he talked about how amazing it was to that the human body is like a piece of clay and you're making a beautiful statue. And I had so many procedures done um, because they had to be done, but in the end, you're also doing it a little bit to make it feel like part of you and like you're happy with it. So um, yeah, they definitely feel really good to have. I'm really happy they can never make me sick. That's so empowering and unfair because if you think of the chances that women and men get breast cancer, it's it's not the smallest risk. It's kind of a big risk for just a, the general population who don't know if they have the gene or not. So I feel really, really grateful and privileged to have these man-made poops.
0: <laughs> and you told me a little while ago that when you were diagnosed with colon cancer, that you apologize to your kids and your partner, like your mother did to you in, in this text. And you told me you felt guilty about becoming uh, ill. And why
1: was that? Because I was just thinking on side, but it's not your fault. You can't help yeah, it. Of course, it's not your fault. And you also can't, you can't do anything about it, but it doesn't make it for me at least, doesn't make the shame go away any little bit. It's still like, I have to see what they go through and everybody deals with it in a different way. So my kids both dealt with it in two completely different ways and my partner as well. And going through it together, but you, yeah, you can't help, but I mean, it is somebody's fault. It's, it's somebody's, somebody is responsible for what it is that they're going through. And I take on that responsibility because it is me. I can't say it's not because it is. But um, it's
0: not, I, it wasn't what you chose. No, no,
1: no. And I didn't apologize when I got the diagnosis. I apologized after I'd gone through it. And now I heard that, oh, it's going actually really well. So they found the tumor in my colon. They found the the spots on my liver and the chemotherapy made all of all of it almost go away. We just have to do a small surgery now to take out the rest. But... It was kind of like I needed that good news moment to be like, to realize what it is. I had kind of like a moment of realization, like this is what we've all gone through. It's not just me going through it. It's really had a big effect on everybody around me. Also friends and family and everybody who hears about it and is connected with you in a way you change something in them or you make them also go through a little bit of something and people closest to you are the ones I think it's also easiest to share those emotions with and I thought that it felt different than my mom apologizing to me for the gene because of I don't know the tone of voice and the way that she did it made me feel bad for her where uh I didn't I don't want to give that to my kids. And it wasn't me saying like, oh I feel so guilty. I'm sorry. And it was like I said to them, I chose my words carefully, like, I'm sorry that you had to go through this and it was really hard for me and I know it was hard for you and yeah, we're moving now into a new part of it. And it's going to go a lot better. It's a different kind of sorry, maybe. I think it was yeah. a different yeah. kind of sorry. It was just very, I, I'm anyway trying to be really conscious with my words, which is why a podcast is so challenging. <laughs> <laughs> we can edit. <laughs>
0: you, you studied the concept of intergenerational trauma. Do you believe this gene running in your family has something to do with... A trauma that's maybe been there for
1: generations? Yeah. So I've read about it and I've had conversations about this with people. And I think that you maybe try to put some kind of a meaning on something like this in any case. And I don't know if it really exists, but for me, it's something that I choose to believe in. I think that they always say like, oh, you don't get more than you can handle in life, you know, so... If you think that, okay, now I've had colon cancer and I already had this gene. um, Why are these things keep, why do they keep happening to me when I'm leading a happy life? I'm following my dreams. I'm a good person. I'm helping other people. I'm trying to be the best version of myself that I can possibly be and also take time for myself. And I've been working the past few years also with therapy on things. So you're thinking like, if I'm doing all the good work, where is this coming from? And if you read into this intergenerational trauma and how things are passed down um, through energetically, but also possibly through your DNA, I mean, we don't know the metaphysical side of DNA because you can't confirm or not confirm anything. So if I look also to my parents who are not the healthiest people, especially my father's very unhealthy, he's a a large man, he has circulation issues, he is very, very overweight, And that man is so healthy somehow. I'm thinking, I'm doing all the right things. Where is this coming from? And looking to my sister who has her own baggage and issues and things that she's going through, but this she couldn't handle. She also doesn't have the gene mutation. So how does it go from one to the other? And of of course it could be just, it's a mutated gene and why are you looking so much into this, Jess? But I feel like they maybe couldn't handle anymore so it's given to me and I I'm working through it for them and I in a way hope that if this does exist and I am the one working through it then I don't have to be passing anything on to my children yeah yeah Yeah. They opened up my breasts by removing my nipples. They took the breast tissue out. My legs were sliced from under my butt cheeks up to the top of my business. They removed fat and skin and blood vessels, then put this into the empty breasts and reanimated the flesh, linking blood vessels with microscopic precision. I woke up high on morphine. I couldn't move. I have never felt pain, fear, and helplessness like that before. Late that same night, as I was in a painkiller-induced trip in the cosmos, they noticed that the left side didn't get enough blood through my small blood vessels, and the breast had started to die. So they wheeled me into a chaotic emergency surgery to try to save what they could. My body was shaking uncontrollably in fear until they put me under again. They decided I needed to try an experimental procedure to increase the blood flow the next day. So they attached leeches to the tissue every three hours. It seemed to help, and after 11 painfully awkward days, I could go home. My movements were very restricted for months. Not able to sit, not able to sleep on my side, not able to pee sitting down, Not able to dry off my own body. Not able to walk more than a minute without fainting. Not able to hug my kids or my man. Not able to go out anywhere. Not able to dance. After thinking all was well and trying to pick up normal life, the left side started to die again. I walked around for three weeks with an open wound. I could see inside my body. It was exhausting psychologically everyone around me was doing normal things and having summer fun and i had a rotting hole in my chest right on top of my heart ecstasy i went out dancing for the first time in forever my body unable to sit let alone dance since april was overwhelmed by the whole thing i invited friends to come And the ones who made it were every bit as into it as I was. Goosebumps. Tears of pure joy. Overwhelming sense of love. No, no drugs in my system. It's just, I can move again. Exactly how I want to move. I even twerked, because why the hell not? I'd been confined to my house and the hospital for five months. Since April, I have two new boobs and no nipples. One is made from my inner right thigh. The other, after failing to accept my inner left thigh as breast filling, was built up from the latissimus dorsi muscle in my back. I cannot ever get breast cancer. Is dancing your way of escaping the darkness? Well... That piece I wrote after the first time I was out dancing again, after the many surgeries that I had. Actually, I actually ended up having a few more after that as well. But this was like, yeah, the first time I had been out dancing, it definitely helps me escape darkness. I really love the whole show around going out dancing. But also once you're dancing, you're in the dark and you're by yourself, but you're in a group of other with other people sharing a moment. It's funny because you're escaping the darkness through going into the darkness. It's kind of like a little double negative there. Maybe that's what makes it so positive. I also talked about, I started that piece near the the end with ecstasy. So I don't do drugs. I never have. And I don't think I ever will. But for me going out dancing creates that whole vibe of ecstasy. And I know other people are on drugs around me. So maybe I'm picking up on that, but Yeah. When your heartbeat starts syncing up with the music and everybody around you is moving and you're all in the same kind of atmosphere, you feel this, yeah, this oneness and sameness and people are smiling at you and it's hard to be dark or sad in that moment. You're, you're there to have an experience and I love having them. Once you get really absorbed in the rhythm of music, you don't have, you're not thinking about your daily life or your, your job or, that thing that happened an hour before you went out dancing you're, that bothered you or whatever. You're just in that moment. So
0: you are a big fan of clubbing. And you even started DJing yourself and started a collective and host club nights sometimes. We'll, we'll talk about that more in the last
1: episode. Can you describe what makes the club the, that special place for you? I think it's the anonymity and And everybody having that anonymousness, the anonymity, Mm -hmm. being themselves, creates a sense of oneness still because we're all these individuals, but we're all together in the same moment experiencing music and atmosphere at the same time. So that makes it really special. I can't really think of another time or place that that happens other than in the club. Yeah, like everybody's own backgrounds, personal history, maybe they have mental issues or health problems or... There could be any number of things going on with an individual, but you don't see that in the club. It's like this magical utopia for me of life can't be like that all the time. And the only place for me that it can be like that is really in a club space. It seems in that moment, like anything and everything is possible and unexpected conversations happen and new connections are formed and you forget your troubles and just enjoy this meditative space being absorbed. Have you
0: been going out dancing since you were like a teenager or did it start in your
1: 20s? Growing up in that small town, there's nowhere to go clubbing. (laughs) And also when we ended up moving to the big city later on in life, there also wasn't really a clubbing scene, but I did dance lessons. It was called jazz dance back then. So it was basically... Dancing in these neon skin-tied costumes to like 90s house music. Yeah, it was super fun. Dancing in classes and then we had dances at school and those were always like the highlight of my year, hands down, always, always, always. And it was only once I left Canada and came to the Netherlands that I found this free techno scene where you could go raving in the middle of an industrial area in this squatted building that was just there for the night. And it was this whole magical, yeah, this, this next level of magic added to going to a club as I now go to the club. It's, it's not the same experience as I had then that made it also like super mysterious and fun. You had to like, we didn't have smartphones back then. So you had to listen with your window down, listening, if you hear the party and then you'd find it. And Would the party still be there when you got there, or would the police come and break it up? Like this whole, yeah, naughty, naughty side of it too, the danger or something. Extra dimension. Extra dimension. uh, Yeah. yeah. And then just, yeah, just dancing all night. As I said, no drugs, just water and really vibing off of people. Like just the pure joy. Loved it. So the recovery
0: period after your surgery or surgeries sounds very dark uh, in your text.
1: But are there also any positive things coming from this period? Yeah, definitely. Unlike this round of healing with my colon cancer journey, I wasn't able to do much back then. I really was very immobile, but I was really lucky that I had a job at an art space and was able to take time off and gradually get back to working. Um, I wasn't as worried as I was maybe this time around in my healing. Yeah, and I kind of thought like, oh, if I do this surgery, this will end that Last piece of the darkness puzzle that I'm I'm faced with, and I'm ready to get through it. And this DNA is not going to get me. But then I had this realization, like, oh yeah, of course my DNA is not changing. Like that that blood is still part of me. My DNA is going to be the same as it was before. I still have this mutation. So how am I going to deal with that? And I really like sat with those thoughts and. I know that writing helps in dealing with things. So I wanted to take time to write something about it. And I wrote that piece that I just read earlier on in this episode. And after I wrote it, it was like a switch went off in my brain and I just started crying uncontrollably. And it was days of this crying. And I went to the doctor right away and was like, I can't stop crying. I don't know what's going on. It was like the most positive thing for me Looking back on it because it opened up this um, door for me to go and get therapy and seek help for this darkness and and Mm -hmm. things that happened in my youth and things I still needed to work through was like maybe if I hadn't have had that surgery in that moment, maybe I wouldn't have opened that door to my own self-care and my own self-love journey and taking care of my mental health and learning and growing as a person. And I, I've often thought this in the past, like I remember my mom was working uh, working three jobs to, to take care of us as a kid and she was just doing way too much all the time, doing way, way, way too much. And then one day she lifted a laundry basket up and her back went out and she just wasn't able to do it anymore. And it was like maybe there were these little signs before trying to tell her like, no, you should be taking a break and take time for yourself and like really look at what you, you know, who you are and what you want in life. And is this the life you want, you know? And I often thought like, yeah, if you don't take the, yeah the early signs that you need to be going on a certain path of self-discovery and self-healing and self-love, like maybe something has to happen to shake you out of it. And I think maybe that was, yeah, that's the most positive I I took away from it is that it really opened this. It was like a crack letting Mm -hmm. in the light to yeah shining on the things that I needed to be looking at and taking care of within myself.
0: Jess turns 38 tomorrow she's celebrating her birthday by hosting a public karaoke party yes you're invited and you can give her a gift by donating to her colorectal cancer awareness campaign. There's more information on her Instagram account, at jessoberlin. The positive BRCA2 test result, the recovery after surgery, and later the diagnosis of colon cancer were hard blows to take. But they weren't the first times Jess had to dance with darkness. More about that in the next episode.